scripture reading today is from Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. And I apologize because sometimes I, I introduce things and then um, I'm starting to have those senior moments, as my mom always called them, and I forget. But, but can, we, um, can we resume standing to read the scripture, please? Starting with verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to them all they had done and taught. And then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And so they went away by themselves on a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it is already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them all to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking up the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. May God bless this reading of his word. Please have a seat. Among all of the creatures... God has made. It's hard to say that the sheep is best at anything. They're not the fastest animal. They're not the strongest. They're not the most beautiful. I mean, if you've seen a real sheep, not like a cartoon sheep here. In fact, you have to wonder how sheep have managed to survive on their own for so long. Their primary defense mechanism, really, is just to stick with a herd for direction and safety. But that doesn't even always work out for the best. There was a news story, it was in the media not too long ago, about a, a herd of about 1,500 sheep in Turkey that blindly were just kind of following the herd, following the crowd along, and one of them went right off a cliff. And the other 1,499 went right off the cliff with that one sheep. They all just went, oh, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Whoop! And out of those 1,500 sheep, when the shepherds, by the way, the shepherds were away having lunch, having a late breakfast. And when the shepherds came back, they found a pile of sheep at the bottom of a cliff. Now the 1,500 sheep, 400 of them were killed. And the others survived just because they landed on a big pile of sheep. Now that's not to say sheep aren't useful. Sheep are obviously one of the most important domesticated animals we have. And that's not to say they aren't loved, because for millennia now, shepherds have always watched over their sheep with great care. Personally, I feel like my ego takes a hit when the Bible again and again compares me to a sheep. 
compares us to a sheep. I don't know about you, but I don't want to see myself as a sheep. I'd rather be something majestic, like a hawk soaring above the world, or maybe a killer whale emerging from the depths of the sea. I don't want to be an animal whose battle cry is, Bah! That's not who I see myself as. But when we get over our ego, we understand that we, sinners, are equally defenseless, we are lacking wisdom, and we are especially prone to wander. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. You know that hymn hymn line? We are as prone to wander as sheep are. Then we also are going to receive with gratitude the guidance and protection of our shepherd. In today's passage from Mark, we're going to see the great shepherd in action as Jesus steps into that role to care for the, the flock that he obviously loves very, very dearly. Now, it's been several weeks since earlier in, in chapter 6 that we talked about this, but you'll cast your memory way back to when Jesus sent out the 12 on a short-term mission trip. And only now are they now coming back. We had that interlude with John the Baptist, and the 12 commissioned apostles are returning, perhaps because they've gotten word that John the Baptist had been murdered, and they came back together because of that, or because they agreed on a predetermined time. But they came back together to share notes, to share with Jesus the excitement, the wonders, what they had seen, what they had heard. And it's important to note that today's text presents Jesus with three very specific problems as he cares after his sheep. Three very specific problems. And the first of these problems in verse 31. It says the apostles are coming back together to share these stories. They haven't had a chance to rest, a chance to really eat and rejuvenate themselves because of all the crowd just swarming all around Jesus, all around Jesus. And they're trying to get Jesus' attention. Jesus, Jesus, we want to tell you something. And the guy says, no, excuse me, I want to talk to Jesus first or I want to get healed by Jesus. And Jesus looks at his, his sheep and he realizes they need that rest. Have you ever gone to a wedding reception and tried to get in a long conversation with the bride or groom? Yeah, that doesn't happen, does it, right? I've I've done that before. I've gone to a wedding reception because everybody wants to connect with those two people. And those two people are constantly the center of attention. So if you ever try to go up and talk with them, they're constantly being interrupted. You've got other people coming, ah, hey, it's Uncle Joe, and it's Aunt Frida, and they want to come, they want to come talk. So really, all you can do is just have a short word and then go eat some cake, and that's it. And so this is what's kind of happening with Jesus. The apostles want to have a long conversation with Jesus, and Jesus wants to hear from them, but they're not going to get that as long as everybody's around them. So that's the first problem. And Jesus, his solution there is let's get away. Let's jump in a boat. Let's go get you guys the rest you need, and I'll be glad to hear what you have to say. I think it's really amazing that as surrounded by the, the crowds as he was, Jesus still had the attention and the care for these 12 men. He still knew exactly what they needed. And sometimes we get into to such a workaholic mentality that we're like, no, 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 I don't need to rest. I just, I'll keep on going, Jesus. Jesus, no, no, I need you to rest. God has given you one day out of the week to rest. And sometimes God need, needs you to rest even more. A good shepherd is always looking around for the dangers that are coming up on his flock, even if those dangers are from the flock themselves. Years ago, when I was in seminary, I took a class called Spiritual Formation. 
And it was all about kind of developing good spiritual habits. And one, one week he said, this is going to be the hardest homework assignment you've ever had. And we go, oh, man, how many pages is he going to have us write? He said, you know what? You're not going to have to write anything. You're not going to have to study anything. What you're going to have to do this week is to find eight consecutive hours. Leave your house. Leave your cell phone. Go out in nature with your Bible and spend eight hours with God. That became the hardest thing we've ever had to do in terms of that class because it is hard. It is hard to downshift from the go, go, go mentality of our lives. It's hard. It was hard for us to just leave our phones behind. What if somebody needed to talk to us? What if somebody needed to text us? Just to go out in nature and just sit there, and it's quiet, and it's slow, and it's peaceful. And after a while, we just started having these amazing conversations with God just started reading the scriptures. We were given a gift of eight hours. Eight hours that we could have had any day, but we never took. And our, our, our professor was kind of being the Jesus here and saying, I want you guys to go rest. If you're going to be future pastors, if you're going to look after a flock yourself, you're going to have to look after people and say, you know what, you need rest right now. And that's what Jesus was doing for the apostles here. The great shepherd knows what's best for us, and every so often, what's best is for us to rest in him. You all know Psalm 23. You probably could say it with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Listen here. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters or still waters. He restores my soul. This is about rest. It's about rejuvenation. It's about a good shepherd who sees us weary and working so hard and saying, right now, rest, my sheep. Lie down. Listen to that creek. Jesus wants to give you rest this week. Even on Sundays, I'm amazed sometimes how we just go to church and then instantly we're off to the races again. We're working again. We're, we're, we don't have any time to just rest. And not just physically rest, but emotionally rest, spiritually rest in Christ. Do you ever look at lines and crowds like they're your enemy? Maybe you're standing at the line at the DMV and you're looking at the 20 people or 200 people in front of you. Maybe you're waiting for a fun ride at an amusement park where you have to uh, contend with hundreds of other overeager shoppers on Good Friday. And you start seeing them as the enemy, the obstacle that's getting in the way between what you want and getting the thing you want. That person who's 10 spots ahead of you in line at the restaurant, why, they're already eating. And here you are with a rumbly tummy. You're just hoping that maybe a, a, a breadstick flies in your direction. You can grab it and start gnawing or something. Crowds inconvenience us and make us wait to get what we want. And sometimes we have that very human and slightly sinful reaction where we start resenting other people and we start kind of cursing them in our minds and going, ah, I don't like waiting. I hate that. They can, crowds can often be very rude to us. And I'm sure here in this story to the weary apostles who really just wanted some time alone with Jesus, wanted some rest, and then they're in that boat going, we're going to get it now. Then they look on the shore, and there's the crowd coming right along with them. Not just coming right along, but actually going faster than the boat. So the, the time the boat lands, the crowd has already shown up there. And the apostles are probably just rolling their eyes and grumbling. But that's not Jesus' perspective. And that's what I find really amazing about this account today. 
the great shepherd, his, his perspective is not our own. He doesn't look at, at the crowd and go, hey, crowd, you're getting in my way. You're getting on my nerves. Instead, he first looks at his hand-picked apostles, tries to take care of them. But then he gets out of the boat. And what does the scripture say? He has compassion on them. He looked at this crowd, and he sees that this is a lost crowd, a crowd of sheep. He said right here, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus sees all of these people as lost, directionless sheep. Israel had failed to provide for them. Really, as we've talked about before in Mark, these people should have had leaders. They should have had strong spiritual leaders in their life. But the Romans weren't providing it. King Herod wasn't providing it. The Pharisees, the priests, nobody was providing any sort of spiritual guidance for these people. Nobody was bringing them closer to the Lord. And so Jesus looks upon them, and he sees people, as uh, the German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, people who had questions but no answers, distress but no relief, anguish of conscience but no deliverance, tears but no consolation, sin but no forgiveness. And when Jesus sees people with strong spiritual hunger, he doesn't put them off, but instead he wants to feed them. A good shepherd feeds them. So Jesus leaps out of the boat, and instantly he just starts teaching them again. He steps up. He's the one that that guidance, that direction that the sheep sorely need. When I was being interviewed by churches such as Knox last year, I think the one question I heard probably from every single church was this question. They said, what is the most important duty that you see of a pastor? What's the most important duty that you see of a pastor? Because I'm sure you could think of like a million duties that a pastor has, right? They're there to, to, to reserve my parking spot in the mor- Sunday mornings, right? They're there to give me lollipops, right, Jeremiah, outside my door? No. I, this is the easiest question in the world to answer because I don't even have to make it up. It's in the Bible. The, the most important duty of a pastor is to feed the flock spiritually. That's it. It's not to say that pastors don't, don't counsel, don't provide physical needs, don't provide social needs. We do a million other things. But the number one duty of an elder of the flock is to shepherd the flock, to feed their spiritual hunger. That's why, that's why the apostles said their number one job was to, to preach, and number two was to pray for the people. And if I ever take my eyes off that ball, it is your job to remind me of that. Because I need to be giving you my A game on Sunday morning. I need to be feeding the flock because I am an under-shepherd, and Christ is a shepherd over us, and Christ feeds us, and I am trying to give you that same food that Christ was trying to give. In fact, Psalm 78 says this. It says, looking ahead to Jesus, Jesus shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them with his skillful hands. I love that. Not just guided them based on whatever he felt, but he has skill in his hands. He knows exactly where you need to go. And as part of the flock of Jesus' sheep, you and I are all the flock. We need to be fed spiritually by our Lord. This is something we I, I know so many people who have come up to me and say, I've missed church for the last six weeks. Man, I'm glad to be back. And they, there's this expression of relief. And they're like, man, I've missed it. But they, what they can never put into words is, I was spiritually starving for six weeks, and now I'm being fed. And they don't quite get it, but when they come back, they have that. 
Don't spiritually starve yourself. That's my encouragement this week. I'm not just talking about Sunday morning. I'm talking about picking up your Bible more than once a week. I'm talking about praying more than every six days or when somebody prompts you to pray. Don't look at Jesus and and be like a dieter who says, Oh, no, Jesus, I can't possibly have another bite from your word. I am full. I don't think we can ever get too full. This, This week, let's eat and drink deeply of the food, of that nourishment that Jesus, our good shepherd, wants to give us. Now, apart from the resurrection, there is only one miracle in the entire Bible of of all the four Gospels that is recorded by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that's the feeding of the 5,000. And because of that, we know this miracle very, very well. I'm sure we're, we're, we're acquainted with the details of it, but what's important to look at is how each of the Gospel writers approaches it in a different way. And for Mark, his focus here is trying to draw attention to how the good shepherd, the great shepherd, cares for our needs past just the physical, or I'm sorry, past just the spiritual. The fact that the crowd followed Jesus' boat to the middle of pretty much nowhere created a very awkward situation on a spring day. It was spring. We, we know that because of the green grass mentioned here. The grass didn't stay green in the Galilee region past spring. So we know it was a spring day. It was a day just like today. Out in the middle of nowhere, and suddenly the disciples are looking around like Jesus has been preaching for a while, and they start realizing. Maybe they start having compassion themselves, compassion for this whole crowd. And they go, these people are going to be really hungry soon. It's late in the day. There's nowhere to eat. Nobody thought, because this crowd was just kind of on the, on the spur of the moment, following along with the boat, nobody thought to bring along food. And so the disciples go up to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, going to start uh, grumbling. Send them back home. Send them to some town to go get food. It's a very pragmatic solution. Think of this. If, if the session was ever put in charge of handling this situation, it, we, we like pragmatic solutions. So I think we'd identify this. And this is follow. You know, the disciples come up to Jesus and say, Jesus, look at this crowd of people. They're starving. They need food. And I think Jesus has one of his funniest responses ever in the whole Bible. I like to think of Jesus having very deadpan wit. And he goes, and they go, Jesus, they're really hungry. Send them away. And Jesus goes, you guys give them something to eat. Let me put that on the word. You give them something to eat. You can just picture the disciples like having a stunned moment of, uh, and, then, and then God bless them. They try, right? They try. They look at, they, they, they figure out the finances. They get the, the, the treasurer of their group, and he starts running some numbers. He's like, it's going to take eight months worth of one person's salary to feed this many people. And then they go kind of doing some reconnaissance, and they find us one small meal, enough to maybe make one fish sandwich here. It's just not enough. Now imagine next Thursday. Every Thursday we feed people here at the church, and usually it's about 40 people or so. But imagine next Thursday... Gene throws open the doors, and there's 15,000 people lining all the way down Elmwood, stretching all the way to the highway, waiting to get in our doors to be fed a meal. First of all, we'd have a strike, and all the kitchen workers would walk out. And Gene would come up to me and say, Pastor Justin, what are we going to do? And what if I had just turned around to her and said, well, give them something to eat? First of all, I'd be slapped upside the face, right? 
give them something to eat. There's 15,000 people. That's probably on the order of how many people were there, by the way. It says 5,000 men, but the, count, the counting back then never factored in women and children. So probably on the order of 12 to 15,000 people. And so Jesus turns around and says, give them something to eat. And what he's trying, to, he's obviously trying to teach them something here. What he's trying to teach them is to take their eyes off the magnitude of the problem and put their eyes on the magnitude of God. Because so often when we face a problem, that's all we're looking at is how big that problem is. Right outside, we've got a problem. Our problem is that big thermometer, right? Because we've got to raise $20,000 to fix a roof. That's a big problem. And maybe we look at that, and I know a session, we've prayed over it, we've looked at it, we've fretted about it, we've talked about it, we've had anguish about it, and we go, look at how big this problem is. I don't think it really helped that we have a thermometer that is bigger than I am. It looks like a big problem, right? But I think our lesson here is that we could take our eyes off the magnitude of the problem and look at our God who's always greater still. It'll get done. We have faith in God. We'll step up. And in contrast to the sin-drenched party that we saw at King Herod's last week, remember it was all debauchery and dancing and carousing and people-pleasing, here we have another kind of party. And it's a meal that is instead centered around God's providence, God's provision. And Jesus sits them down. In fact, look at how, if you've got your Bible still open, look at how Jesus arranges this meal. He gets them into groups, and he makes them sit down in what? Green pastures! He literally makes them lie down in green pastures. If Jesus isn't pointing back to Psalm 23 and going, guys, great shepherd, lie down, green pastures, and now I'll feed you. I mean, there's got to be some light bulbs going off over some heads here. I'm not making this up. Literally, green pastures. I was just like giddy when I saw that little detail. And then he, he divides them into groups, by the way, because that's how Israel used to divide around the tabernacle, into groups into all, all of their tribe. And then he blesses the food and he breaks it and suddenly he starts feeding all of them with a seemingly endless supply of bread and fish. And what does the passage say? Does it say everybody got the smallest possible nibble, uh, maybe a molecule of fish and a, a crumb of bread? No, it says they ate so much that every last person, what's the word? Satisfied. I don't know about you, but I've gone to restaurants where after my meal, I am not satisfied with the amount of food I just got. And sometimes I'm not satisfied with the quality of the food I just got. But here, every single person is not just satisfied, but there's leftovers. There's 12 baskets full of leftovers. Remember when I poured that cup during that children's sermon that one week, and I talked about how God, when he blesses us, he's not stingy with the blessing but rather he blesses us so much that our cup overflows. And sometimes the metaphor, yes, that's the thing, and we'll be really joyous in our hearts, but sometimes that met- it's not a metaphor at all. It's something physical and something real, something tangible, and he blesses us with that so much that our cup runs over, that we are blessed monetarily. We are blessed with friendship. We are blessed with good events in our lives. We are blessed with good news when we are expecting bad. He blesses us 
deeply, richly, and greatly. Ezekiel 34.15 looked ahead at the type of shepherd Jesus would be when the prophet shared this message. I will feed my flock, and I will lead them to rest. Feed them, give them rest. Look at the shepherd, the shepherd who, when we look at sheep, we think sheep are just there to serve us, to be our wool machine, to be our meat machines, to be there to benefit us ultimately. And said, Jesus, that's not his view. He looks at the flock and he loves them so that he goes, my mission is to feed them, feed them spiritually, feed them physically. My mission is to give them rest. It's what Jesus wants to do for you today. Even when you're in your sin, God provides. Even when you're wandering away, the sun draws you back. Even when you're in your darkest hour, the Spirit will sustain you. The great shepherd gives to his flock what they need in that moment, in that hour. And I think, really quick, another astounding thing in this passage is that Jesus doesn't need other people to do this miracle. But instead... He still draws them in. He still draws the apostles in and says, God, I want you to be a part of this work. I want you to be a part of feeding the sheep. And he gets them to be a part of it. He invites them in, into ministry. And that's what Jesus invites us to do. Jesus does not need you to do his work. Jesus invites you to do his work. There's a difference there. His work's going to get done no matter what. We're good Calvinists. We believe that. But he invites us to partake in his ministry, and that is exciting. He also invited that little boy to partake in this ministry, in this miracle, by giving up of his meal. And I, I don't want to overlook that. So when Jesus says these words to us, you give them something to eat. We need to remember how the good shepherd cared for us, and we need to turn around and care for others. Jesus is very specific about this. Not vague, not metaphorical, but in Matthew 25, Jesus says, take what you have learned from me and head out and do likewise. Feed the hungry, bring water to the thirsty, help the stranger find rest, clothe the naked, care for the sick, visit the prisoners. There, six things, six things you could do this week. Pick one. My daughter told me beforehand, your guys are, she's not here right now, so they're raising money in their school to build a well in Africa, and I think that is a wonderful, wonderful endeavor. And I told her, right here in Matthew 25, Jesus tells us to give water to the thirsty. Not just, not just metaphorically, not just pray, but do more than pray, take action. One boy had enough food to make a little sandwich. But when he gave that gift to Jesus, look how Jesus, the good shepherd, took that and did amazing things with it. No matter how small your gift may be, no matter how frail you may feel, how weak you may be, how poor you may be, whatever your situation, give your gift to God. Give that sandwich to God and see what God does with it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, may your glory be forever increased by how you care for people. Lord, right now there are people in this church, there are people in this community, there are certainly people in this country who are hurting. Lord, they need you. They have a spiritual hunger. They haven't heard the word, or maybe if they have, they've dismissed it. they dismissed it as nothing but fairy tales, things that meant for other people, good intentions, but nothing more. Lord, there are people who are, are physically hungry and starving. 
people who are, are looking for clothes, people who are being persecuted, even in prison. Lord, we lift up to you these people, but also laid on our hearts that we, as your servants and as your ministers, can go out and minister to people in your name. Help us to find our ministry, whether it's here at Knox or in the community or in the world. Help us to find our ministry so that we can take our gift and partake in the ministry field. Because as you said, the, the field is open, the harvest is ready, but the workers, the workers are so few. Lord, help us add to those numbers today. And thank you, Lord. Thank you above all for being our great shepherd. In your name, amen. Receive the benediction from 1 Timothy. He who is a blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen and amen. Go in peace.